from Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale-ups, and grown-ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show, and all season long we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And remember, you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive and learn how to pitch your startup at StartupHypeMan.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Toronto, Canada and currently residing in the Chicagoland area. He is the founder of Rumi. Please welcome Dapo Cola Wale. Raj, thank you for the invite, man. I like that intro. It just reminds me of WWF. My dad loves WWF. I love WWF, and I love how you did that intro. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. He is Dapo Kalawale, as I mentioned, the founder of Rumi. All this season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're actually dedicating the entire season to featuring different companies who have been clients of Startup Hype Man, either past or present. And so I'm very excited to share Dapo's story with you here today, specifically talking about how to win pitch competitions. Dapo's current startup, Rumi, in just a few months of existence, has had a lot of success in competitions. Prior to that, his last startup, City Spoon, won many competitions or placed in the top three and won a lot of money. And that was in both cases before even having paying customers. So there's a lot to unpack here because one of the best ways to fund your company is through entering and winning money through pitch competitions. So let's kick things off today, Dapo, given that our topic is how to win pitch competitions. Just real quick, why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? Well, as a startup, you need to you know, do a lot of things pretty quickly with your business. If you're bootstrapping your own company um, with your own limited funds, you start looking at other ways of generating revenue or funding your company. Um, And this is before you start talking to VCs because the conversation with VCs is a whole different level. They want to see traction. They want to see paying customers. They want to see some kind of movement. But if you're still at the idea stage, there are opportunities for for startup for any startup to try to find these um, non-diluted opportunities to fund the company from a thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars, depending on what you need. We're going to talk all about that in today's conversation. Before we dive into that, let's learn a little bit more about you, Dapo. You, I mentioned in your in your introduction that you're from Toronto. Um, can you talk to me about? What was your family life like growing up? And what do you feel that has taught you about business? Awesome. So, yes, I was born um, in Toronto. I, my dad and my mom came to Toronto for education. Uh, and, as, and as soon as they were done, they left back for Nigeria with me. Um, so I only spent like the first five years of my life um, growing up in Toronto. Then I spent the next 15 
to 17 years of my life growing up in Nigeria. So I went to primary school, high school, then turned around and came to Canada for university. Between that time I spent in Nigeria, my dad um, worked for uh, one of his uncles who ran for president of Nigeria. So he was kind of like working for someone who's an entrepreneur and helping that person run there. They had like a, like a, like a farm that they were running in, a, in one of the cities there. But my mom also had like, a, like a, a grocery store. It was a very small grocery store. And I'll be the one who would run it on the weekends. You know, I'll be there waking up, wake up in the morning, open the, the, the doors, you know, make sure everything's shelved. And we always had like a small TV that had those um, antennas where we're trying to get some W. Really, we're trying to get some to watch a wrestling games back then with people <laughs> in the neighborhood in this small store. Um, but as my, my mom has always been in the entrepreneur space. In fact, she started off with this small grocery store and eventually moved into having her own restaurant. So sometimes when people ask me, what is your connection to restaurants and city spoon? It's because my mom was in the restaurant business. I was, I used to go to market her in the morning to go purchase all the stuff she would need for the day. You know, and when you, you see what the difference between here, North America and Nigeria is that when you go to the store to go buy um, ingredients for your business, you, there's something called haggling, you know, they don't, they don't do that. Here. Everything's like, that is the price. It's 10 bucks here. It's like over there. It's like the person will say, it's a suggestion as a starting point. It's a suggestion. <laughs> exactly. And then my mom will come in and say, I want to pay you four. Then the person will curse out my mom. Then my mom will walk away. Then the person will call my mom back. Then they'll say, okay, give me six. Then my mom will say three. And I'm like, mom, they're going to kill you if you keep doing this. You know? <laughs> so I learned quick, very quickly from my mom that you know, entrepreneurship is all about well, running a business. Uh, there's a power in you being the person that's doing the purchasing. If you're buying something from somebody else, you get that power to say, this is the set the price. You can, look, I'll give you this cash right now. Would you take it? So my mom's journey definitely influenced me a lot in terms of just seeing the power of taking um, something that costs this much, adding this much value to it, and then selling it to somebody else who is willing to pay you for it every night at the restaurant. <laughs> you know, it's like it's something I saw all the time. You know, so my mom always did that. My dad was always working for my uncle. And those two together helped me kind of see what that opportunity looked like. Now, that being said, most Nigerian parents... Um, emphasize that the kids have to go to college. They, you know, you could do something else, but you have to have a college degree minimum. You know, so I did that. I'm still, you know, I'm using my college degree to do a couple of things right now. But the entrepreneur spirit has always been in there since day one, especially with my mom's um, through what I saw my mom do. What are some other things that stand out to you about Nigerian culture um, that you feel you've carried with you? Ah. So they say something about Nigerians. We are very resilient. You will find us, you will find us trying to figure out the hardest thing and figure out a solution to get in results of that particular problem. I had some friends over here to last week from Atlanta and um, the friend who came over, he's my CTO at, um, at Rumi, but his fiance is from Liberia. And she said something was something very profound when she came over, when they came over. She goes, when G-Day told me that you reached out to him to become the seat, asked him to be the CTO at Rumi, I looked at him and said, if a Nigerian asks you to come into business with them, you say yes. <laughs> 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 because they're going to figure out a way 
they're going to figure out a way to solve that problem. They're going to figure out how to make money. They're going to figure out how to get customers. They're going to figure out how to solve that problem. Because when you live in Nigeria, you don't have all the opportunities you have here. So you have to be super creative to figure out how to get things done. You know, you don't have, there's a lot of, that's why when I, when people come in from Nigeria, they get here, they're like, I can't believe you have all these opportunities and you have not done some amazing stuff with it. You know, even though I left Nigeria in 1991, I still carry that then with me. You know, yeah. I look at the situation, I figure out, I start looking, okay, how do we, how do we do this? How do we do that? You know, and who do I need to go talk to, to get stuff done? And that's how, that's, that's what I've carried with me from Nigeria. It's, we're very resilient. Um, even if, even if you look at the Olympics, for example, you know, um, whenever let's, let's talk soccer, right? Soccer and Nigeria is, it's a huge thing in, in Nigeria. Um, whenever Nigeria makes it to the world cup, we're usually in the group, we're usually in group D, which is a group of death. That yeah. means you have Germany in there. You have France. <laughs> you got some teams that you like, you got to get past those guys, you know? And you know what? We get past them. And we get to the second round. It's like, how do they get through that? These guys are always smiling. They're trying to figure it out. But we're smiling all the time. We're thinking of how we're going to get past this, this thing in front of us. That's how we are. Well, and I, and I think that idea of the creativity and the, the resilience and, like, the figure-it-out-ness you know, I, I know today we're talking about the pitch competitions, but but I do want to highlight and give you an opportunity before we talk about that. You've been able to fund your companies in other creative ways, one of which was the the, the cereal box um, strategy that you executed. So why don't you let our listeners know about what I'm talking about here and, and this super creative way to raise money for your company? Absolutely. So prior to moving to to you know, Chicago land. We lived in the Quad Cities, which is in Iowa. And um, as you know, with every election year, you would have you know all these potential um, um, office holders come into town. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, we we had we were we were just launching City Spring, and you know it was our first entrepreneurial. Actually, that was not that was not my first entrepreneurial um, project, but that was the one of the major ones that my wife and I worked on and we needed to figure out how to fund our business. So um, obviously I listened to a lot of podcasts. I'd read about how Airbnb had, you know, launched um, Obama O's and um, Captain, Captain McCain's. And I said, but they don't tell you, they just said, this is what they did. You know? So for you to go try to execute on, on the same thing and try to figure out, okay, I need to get the right box size. Where do I do yeah. that? Okay, I solved that problem. How do I get this designed? I figured out how to get somebody to, a couple of people to send me some potential um, um, graphics and then hire the person. Okay, where do we get this printed? I had to figure that out as well. And then the last puzzle was like, how do we put, how do, how do we put cereal in this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know. So yes, I was able to figure out how to get the box. I got it printed locally in Chicago. I found somebody in, in France to do the artwork for me. And all the Aldis in, in, in the Quad Cities eventually knew who I was because I would walk in there and I would say, can I take this shelf of cereal boxes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I need, to, I need to stuff, you know, take cereal box, of, you know, take one cereal and put it in another box. So that's essentially how we came up with the box. And then what we did was just started targeting on rallies, you know. So Trump had his rallies 
and Hillary Clinton had his her rallies, and we would go there, you know. And I remember the first time I went to the the very first rally I went to. It was a Saturday, and I drove to the rally grounds on Friday, and I asked the rally the people that own the property, the grounds. I was like, "Can I come up and set up a, a a booth here?" And they said, "No, you cannot. You cannot set up a booth here unless you're a paying member." I said, "Okay, that's a bummer." Um, but again, this is you know, I started thinking, "How do I solve this problem?" So the next morning, Saturday morning, I woke up, loaded up my wife's car. I see, had an SUV, I had a regular car, loaded up with cereal boxes, and there's a McDonald's right across from the grounds. So I went there, sat down, had a McDonald's, ordered a McDonald's, but the whole time I'm eating, I'm looking at the grounds. I'm looking at what's going on. You know, who's, who's going in there, who's setting up and stuff like that. And after I finished eating, I hopped in the car, I drove into the grounds, I parked, and there was, a, there was a one vendor to my, to my left, another one to my right. I said, can I take this spot in the center? They said, yeah. I said, I'll also take one of your um, Make America Great hats because it was a Trump rally and I put the hat sure. on. And because I just gave him $20, he was, well, he was so happy to have me next door to him. So I set up my boxes and the next thing you know, people are walking up and buying both Trump and Hillary boxes at $25 a piece. (laughs) In fact, at that particular rally, somebody came up to me, someone, one of um, Trump's, um, I guess, folks or people came up and said, can I buy box number 40? Because each box was numbered. It was a limited quantity set that I bought. Yeah. He, she, she, she bought the exact number for the next potential president, had him yeah. sign in, and they kept it. And if you go online right now and type in Lucky Trumps or Honey Nut Hilarios, you would find pictures of my wife and I selling boxes, or you'll see Trump having a, <laughs> eating some cereal with a box in his hand. So that's. So to Trump how- himself, was he like, he's got a photo with this box and eating the cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. You know. It's, 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 it's just, you know, and I, I remember posting a story about this on LinkedIn and somebody called me out on this. They said, it's not an original idea. Why are you writing this story? And I'm like, and it, it, this, the, the way they put it was like, it's not an original idea. Why are you posting this story? Airbnb was the first person to do it. I'm like, uh-uh. Airbnb, the founders of Airbnb were not the first people to do novelty style cereal boxes. They were not. What did they you know, do then? People that was been different. doing it before. All they did was created. Uh, they created. They created a, a cereal box. They created Obama O's and um, Captain McCain's. McCain's. Yeah, yeah. However, people have been doing, um, you know, like cereal boxes like that, where they would have different characters on it. That's sure. not necessarily officially from that cereal box company. So I, I pointed that out to them, and I said, and besides. A lot of people read that Airbnb story, but how many people actually did something about it to fund their business? I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, it's like, that's, that's my point. I'm like, a lot of people run into problems every day. The question is who actually worked on a solution to solve that problem? And in this right. case, I needed funding and I did it. Right. So, yeah, so you go to, you go to the Trump rallies, you go to the Hillary rallies, you sell your cereal. Did you find... Were, was it like at a Hillary rally, people are buying more Hillary or are they actually buying more Trump cereal? So before, that's a very good question. And my answer is this. I, I could tell you this. We could have called who was going to win the election based on sales. <laughs> based on true? sales, Trump won. Yeah, Trump won the election based on sales because they were buying. They were just buying it in, like in bulk. Yeah, they were buying it in bulk. 
you know, Very so I could, I, you know, every time I, when I, when I talk about that, that, that experience of us selling cereal boxes, that question comes up all the time. I'm like, oh, we could have called who was going to win way before <laughs> you guys That's had to so interesting. spend all that money. <laughs> yeah. It's such an interesting lesson in like economics and branding and everything like that. So no, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And it, 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 it really, even if another company did something similar before, it's not like they patented the idea behind that. And exactly. it takes a lot of, you know, most people will hear that. In fact, nearly everyone else will hear that and think not to do it themselves. I also would make the argument that it was probably a little bit easier of an environment to do it in when it was Obama versus Mc- I'm just thinking about like public sentiment and like the amount of um, um, I guess like political um, venom, I guess that, that existed from 2016 to now was a lot different in 2008. Was it or 2012? 2008 was that was the McCain one. Yeah. I'll say it's similar because Obama brought hope and everybody was motivated by that about that. But when Trump came on the scene the first time, he brought something very similar to what Obama was bringing. Not the second time around, but the first time around. So a lot of people were like fired up about that. That's why the sales. Yeah. A different brand of, you're right. Yeah. A different brand of hope, but, but essentially that that concept. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. I think that's probably more on this is probably its own episode in and of itself, but let's, uh, let's talk about the pitch competitions. That's our topic today. And I want to maybe tee this up by First, having you just give a quick background on Rumi and then maybe, and that's what you're working on now, but your first startup, you know, you've kind of transitioned out of, but it still kind of exists um, with City Spoon. So maybe if we could just get a quick background on both City Spoon and Rumi. Sure. So City Spoon started um, obviously in Davenport, Iowa. It started in 2008, I want to say. Um, and that was just an idea that my wife and I had when we tried to go out to eat at a restaurant and the wait times were super crazy. And we tried the first restaurant, you know, we get there and they say it's a 20 minute wait. We get to the second restaurant. It's an hour wait. The third restaurant we get there and it's like, you know, we don't know when, you, when we're going to get you seated. And we're like, okay, we wanted to come out for some tacos, but now we're ending up at a, a Thai restaurant because we're forced because we can't actually predict or get an analysis of what wait times are. So that's how wait, uh, City Spoon started. And the very first, um, I'll say one thing about City Spoon is that we had an opportunity to go to a couple of um, incubators or so in Iowa that we went through that got us up to a point where we were able to actually build an app. And then when we moved to Chicago, which was a totally different market, we actually rebranded and you know readjusted everything to make sure we could actually serve the Chicago market. In terms of Rumi, Rumi actually started last year when I had to um, furnish my home office during the pandemic lockdown. And I, my background is in the commercial furniture industry. I've always worked in environments that are aspirational in terms of the furniture, you know, in terms of the space. You like you walk in there, and you're like, you know, I would I, I don't care what kind of job you guys are going to give me here. I just like how the how the space looks, you know. So when I had to furnish my home office last year and I started looking at my options towards the kind of furniture I wanted, I quickly realized that good furniture, well-made furniture that looks really good was just cost prohibitive. And I started looking at ways of solving that problem. And one of the first things that I did was actually rent. I didn't actually rent. I actually bought somebody else's Barcelona chair. And I was like, what if I could actually rent out other people's furniture? I could lease their furniture, put it in my space and switch it up as much as I want. I started looking at that, what that process looked like. 
And from there, you know, we, I actually went ahead and took uh, Rumi through um, Y Combinator Startup School, graduated from that, went through 1871's Paris program a few times, and then in 2020, 2021, launched it the way you see it today. And um, it's been, it's been, very, it's been moving pretty quickly with, with Rumi. So my background, again, in commercial furniture industry, even though I'm looking at residential furniture, I know in terms of what looks good and what would last long in terms of um, bringing quality pre-owned furniture into people's spaces so they could continue to have that aspiration of feeling about their space. My wife and I travel, we do a lot of staycations in town and we specifically pick specific hotels. Why? Because when we walk in there, we're like, man, look at this, look at that, look at this place. This is just, it's got that wild feeling to it. And we want every space to have that aspirational feeling to it. So when you walk in, it's like, this is my home. This is my place. But you can you have the freedom to switch it up as much as you want. So for everyone listening who's not familiar, so Dapo and I met probably, what do you think, maybe 2017, I would imagine. Yep. Um, it might have been at the fund conference, actually. And then we kind of just kept running into each other <laughs> at different places. Took maybe a year or so, but then we finally started working together. And, and you know, what I helped you with and, and helped and, and worked on was like, what is the City Spoon pitch? Uh, and that was, you know, referring to your first company. And, and we built that out. But, but I think kind of the real genesis of that was you saying, there's a pitch competition. I want to enter it. Let's figure out how we can win this thing. I'm just curious when you were looking at that landscape, you know, and when we first started working together, how did you like even get the idea to say, you know, I don't have uh, really a functional product yet, or maybe it's just an early stage product. I don't have paying customers yet, but I'm going to see if I can still go to this competition and win this thing. Yeah. So when I lived in Iowa, I had an opportunity to be in like three pitch competitions. The very first one, I came in third place and I won $1,000. And that was the genesis of City Spring. I'm like, I won $1,000. There's, you know, somebody thinks there's something here. And um, that $1,000 helped build the very first non-working prototype of City Spring because what can you possibly build with $1,000? Nothing. <laughs> you know, so... But a couple of people in the audience saw me present and they said, hey, we would like you to be the part of the very first cohort of the University of Iowa Venture School, six months program, six weeks program, where they walk you through the business model canvas. You know, so I went through that. All and I did and my, and, my, and my other CTO. However, at the end of the six weeks, there is something called demo day or presentation day. And I was the first company to present. And um, I stayed up all night practicing, getting ready. I get up there and I tanked. I did not have a structure. I ran out of time. I was embar embarrassed. You know, I had to keep a smile on the rest of the day while I was in there. Well, every other person after me was doing exceptionally well. And the way they even introduced me, they introduced me. Oh, as, no. This is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this no. is the best thing, you know, and I just bombed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I always ha I have those pictures that I look at all the time and I'm like, okay, that was that, that was one instance. This, the second pitch competition I went to is at University of Iowa. 
And this is a very interesting story because you see how it ties into something that you and I worked on. So I, I go in there and it's my turn to pitch and I start my pitch and the judges don't even let me finish when they start asking me more questions. I'm confused. What is this? What are you trying to do? They were like, just literally, they weren't on attack, attack mode, you know? And I ended up finishing my, my Q and A with them, walking out of there dejected, you know, really de de dejected. Like this is, you know, maybe this is the end of it. Maybe, you know, maybe there's nothing here. However, that week, the, the, the pitch competition was on a Tuesday. On the Thursday and Friday of that week, I was flying out to an event in New York called Tech Day New York. So I flew out there, um, had my booth, had my table, and New York embraced. They embraced me. Mm. They were like, this is great. This is fantastic. When are you going to bring this? And it, it occurred to me that this solution may not be right for Davenport, Iowa, where you could walk in and get a table anytime you want. It has to be probably for a bigger city. Fast forward three years later, I sit down with you in a room and I say, I'm, I have a pitch competition in Iowa City. It's the same one event. I go back there. You and I do our session. I get my pitch ready. People, when you, if you look at my script before and after, when, I, when you and I worked on that script, I'm like, okay, I'm going to say all this crazy stuff with this script and we'll see how it goes. So it's my turn. I walk into the room and I give my five minute pitch. And the judges asked me a question. And one of the time uh, officials, a timekeeper there, was actually one of the judges four, three years ago. He comes up to me before I finished, after my pitch, before the q and he goes, Dapple, this is a thousand times better than the last time I heard you. <laughs> he whispers that into my ear before the Q&A. So I take that, I do the Q&A, I go from the first round, they narrow down the teams, and to the second round, then I go there and pitch the second round, the same pitch, second round, walk away with $2,500, second place. So to answer your question, the genesis of thinking of using a pitch to fund your business, even if you don't have customers or, or, or even a working prototype, it's all based on getting to talk about your idea, getting feedback and improving on the narrative. That's always what I usually do. Every time, pitch competitions, I've been to pitch competitions where I do not win. And I walk up to the judges, I'm like, what did you hear? Or what could I have said better? And I bet you by the time I walk out of that conversation, I've made some tweaks to my pitch again to make sure I communicate that clear. clear. I think someone told me this, that if when you're doing your pitch, you have to make sure you answer all the questions in the judges' minds when you're doing your pitch. And the last pitch I did, which was about two weeks ago, the very last question, the, 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 the timekeeper said time out. And one of the judges said, I have one more question. What if, this is for a roommate. She goes, what about bed bugs in beds? And I say, I said, timekeeper, may I answer this question? He goes, yeah, we don't do beds. We do bed frames and we cling to CDC standards. And that's all I said when I walked away. Because I would I have to make sure I answer that question because when they go back and deliberate, they're going to say, hey, he hasn't thought about that yet. We're going to give it to this other person. And I could have just lost. <laughs> so right. I made sure I answer that question clearly right. as fast as possible. I want to get more into the actual sort of like mechanics and strategy in 
in putting together a winning pitch or a top pitch. Before I do that, though, I just want to take a quick sidebar here and just pose a question to our listeners. You know, how many of you out there hate Google Analytics or are just really, really unhappy with it? I would guess a lot of you are because I know it's something that I've really struggled with, um, you know, understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is really hard. And with Google Analytics, I'm always finding there's some integration issue or you have to sort through like a mountain of data to figure out what's really causing leads to drop off. Or it's just like not actually showing the accurate results. And it creates a really nightmare situation oftentimes. And that's why I was really excited to learn of a better way to measure website analytics, Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step should be. So finally, this is a solution where you can understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more, which means no more blind spots on your website. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. And just for Startup Hype Man listeners, you can use the code HYPEMAN at checkout. That's all one word, HYPEMAN at checkout for 20% off any plan. So again, you can start your free trial by visiting oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. Use the promo code HYPEMAN for 20% off at checkout on any single plan. Today, we're talking with Dapo Kolawale, the founder of Rumi, about how to win pitch competitions. Now, Dapo, I have always kind of just been... um, and we've worked together on a lot of different pitches and and, and what I've always just been like so um, uh, happy about. And and even I always get amazed, even though I know we built a good pitch, I always am like, like amazed at just like the results that it can produce sometimes. Uh, and so, I mean, there's been stretches where you'll just like four or five weeks in a row, you'll, you'll slack me and be like, Hey, we won again, or Hey, we won, you know, five grand here. Or, we, we did this, we did that. Um, what are some, pivotal points you would say that you always make sure is in your pitch, you know, regardless of format. Pivotal points. That's always in my pitch. Expand on that question. If yeah. So what are things you're like, I got to make sure I hit on this every oh. single time. Okay. Yeah. So I divide my pitch into two sections. You have your, your problem solution approach side which is where I spend most of my time because of the business side of things. Yes, you have to go ahead and do your homework in terms of you know explaining to people how you're going to make money, how you're going to get to people, um, team and stuff like that. That's the easy part in terms of the data and this, you know, I'm referencing this from this place and stuff like that. It's that opening that I spend a lot of time because that's where I want to actually build my case. You know, so my approach is always start with a story and build a story, build a case without story. It, I, I, I've seen other pitch competitions where they may just start off with um, a stat. I, I, I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to like, you know, imagine this. I create that, you know, imagine this world and I just start like that. And I do a lot of, um, I, I, spend, I tend to spend a lot of time looking at commercials to see how they, in 30 seconds, say what they have to do. 
And I'm like, that's a great commercial. And I referenced that. I actually referenced commercials for my slide decks in terms of how they say stuff or how they quickly in 30 seconds deliver that information. And even how my, my slide deck looks like, it's all based on me looking at a commercial. I'm like, I'm actually trying to sell you something in 30 seconds. In this case, it'd be me, if it's a five minute pitch, it's the first minute and a half, you know, that I'm like, in this first minute and a half, I have to sell you this whole story. So you, it's believable. And you could say, yes, I could see myself having this problem. And I want to know more about how you're going to solve this problem. So the opening is always very critical for me. It's, very, it's something that I always spend a lot of time tweaking and refining, you know, and it could be as simple as, changing a phrase, changing a sentence, you know, like I have a presentation coming up on Wednesday. And when I talk about our, um, the number of people on our wait list, I was like, well, what do I call those people? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to call them furniture fanatics. You know, I'm mm. like, we have over 600 furniture fanatics on our platform, like giving them an actual name. You know, these are the people that we're looking, looking for people that want their spot to be aspirational you know, they, they, they don't want, they don't want Ikea. They don't know they don't want Wayfair. They want, you know, a Barcelona chair. They want some CB2s in this. They want their space to look like uh, upscale WeWork. <laughs> you know, that's what they want that space to look like. You know, so I spend that time curating that story and the, what I want to say, how I want to, how I want, how I want my slide that to, to look. I had one of my, um, one of the team teammates on the VC fund that funded us, he asked me a question. He goes, do you have a design background? I go, no, I don't. He goes, because your slides and your website always look so clean. And I'm like, well, one, I do have a design background, but more on furniture. I'm always working to build stuff, but it has to look good. So I bring that over to what I'm doing. But also I'm a minimalist by how I approach stuff. The less is more approaches where I always do with how I deliver stuff and how I design stuff. So those are the kind of elements that you see and when I deliver a pitch that I always make sure it's always in there. I like, so two things you said, start with a story and build a case for that story. I really like that. And I think, you know, cause I, I watch pitch competitions all the time and I will notice there's like, probably two distinct approaches that don't do this. And it's either slide one is the problem, but there's no buildup or slide one is the team. Or I guess the other way would be, you know, you say like, Hey, you just hit people over the head with stats right away. The challenge with that is it, it's not congruent to the way person's brain wants to receive information, right? The, you know, the, what most people listening to this know is that we make decisions based on emotion. Uh What I think is interesting is that so many people still think that like, they're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that, but they think they're the exception. And they're like, no, no, but this stat, if we show them that that's, what's going to win them over. And so they pull the emotion away by starting with stats. And then what happens, I think, is it becomes really hard to keep track of all the stats you've heard. Uh-huh. What you're saying is have a buildup. 
right? It's like a, it's a buildup and then a delivery. It's like a you know, punchline and then a, or, or a setup and a delivery of a punchline almost. And you're spending, you know, half the presentation almost just building up the case for that problem and making sure that they understand what it is before you're getting into like market size and all those numbers and growth trajectory and all that. Because I'm going to guess the feedback you no longer get, maybe you got it you know, that first time in Iowa, you don't get feedback of people saying, I'm confused about what your product does or what your company does. I don't. Right? I do not. Yeah. And that's something that I think a lot of companies get. They come out of these events and the, the questions are all spent trying to understand what does the product actually do, as opposed to at, like you understand the product from a judging side. So the questions are all around like business model and growth and yeah. opportunity, right? Yeah. Can you talk through maybe some like storytelling um, mechanics that you've been able to leverage in that buildup? Sure. So one mechanic that I, uh, a, a great teacher taught me for a podcast. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Mr. Raj. <laughs> don't know who you're is talking. That, I don't know that guy. <laughs> is that um, is that you always want to burn the house down when you're talking about the problem? So I always, when I sit down, for example, when I sat down with Rumi, I was like, okay, how do I explain the worst situation that could happen if you own furniture and you need furniture? You know. And I'm like, okay, the worst situation is this. It's the 15th. I'm giving my pitch, my pitch, my pitch right now. It's the 15th of the month. And your apartment lease is up, but you found a new place. You look at your furniture and realize every piece can't go. You head over to Facebook Marketplace and you post your items there. Next, you hit let go, offer up next door, and we post them there as well. Before you know it, you spend the past two weeks negotiating endless let go sales. Endless now is burning something down because you don't know when it's going to end. Considering putting your furniture up in storage, now this thing's going to cost me money. Or worse, giving your furniture away to some friends and you just bought it. So you're losing money in all respects. So I started looking at that. I was like, okay, from the furniture owner's perspective, how do I structure the story in such a way that it shows? So the way I usually, I, I, I look at structuring my, the problem part of my pitch is to identify how bad the pain could be and then continue to amplify that pain. You know, so it's like pain, 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 just pain all the way. Just, just give them all the pain that you can possibly experience without problem. And because I'm a two-sided market, I switch over to the other side of the market and I say, but wait, the problem gets worse. I just told you about all the pain on the, on the other side. The problem gets worse. When you need furniture, you're either searching in places you're not acquainted with, dealing with an IKEA assembly, or building furniture in between unpacking. You know, so I tell you all the other stuff you have to deal with when you now need to furnish your space, especially the target market we're going after. They probably don't own a car. The nearest IKEA is miles away, and then they're probably not they're probably not mechanically inclined to try to put something together, especially when the you look at those IKEA. Um, instruction books and you have a couple of cartoon drawings and you're like, okay, where do I stop? 
Yeah. <laughs> I well, like, so I want to, let me just it pause also, for a second. And I want to, I want to analyze something that you're saying, because it's really, really, I don't, I don't want, I don't want the listeners to overlook this. These pain points that you're stressing at, like literally before you even went into the explanation of Ikea stuff, you, you hit on the three, you said on the other side, you said, uh, if you're selling or if you're, what was it? Do that again. It was the Ikea and what else? Yeah. If you're, if you're selling your furniture, you have um, endless negotiations you have to deal with. You're contemplating putting your furniture up in storage or worse. I call it a roadside sofa drop off. Like you literally, you're pulling away from the apartment and you're leaving your $600 on the curb because you can't take it with you and you don't want to deal with it. You just leave it on the road and your friends come and pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> so you so, see all these examples roadside sofa drop-off, your endless negotiations or on the other side, assembling Ikea furniture. It's not just that these are pains. It's that upon hearing it, you feel the pain yourself. I, and I, I don't mean this to say it because I knew you were going to say it because I, I, I didn't. The, the, the first time just now, a minute ago, when you said assembling Ikea furniture, I I literally, in my mind, went back to being the guy, like two years ago, the apartment I, or three years ago, the apartment I moved into, trying to put together a bookcase, a TV stand, and a coffee table, and it taking like 10 hours, and being the guy on diagram, like step one of the diagram, who's got broken shit everywhere, and has like a question mark over his head, <laughs> right? Like that was me, and I, and I, and I could feel that in my bones upon you saying assembling Ikea furniture. And so that's, I, I, I'm pointing that out to say the problem, should, the, the problem or problems that you state, what you're effectively doing is stating it in a way or referencing it in a way where the other side, the audience feels it as you're talking about it. They don't just, you know, think about it or they don't just, they don't just see, oh, yeah, that's a thing. They can feel it themselves. Absolutely. That's interesting you put it that way because, yes, when I talk about it, and I've been through all of them except for um, giving the furniture away. In fact, I have given furniture away. I've had people come over. I'm like, do you want this? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, you know, it's not going to, it doesn't go where I'm going with. And do you want that? But I know I paid a lot of money for it, you know. So being able to, and in, in, the, in the search for identifying those pain points, that is part of the customer uh, discovery interviews that I did before I even started penning what this problem. I did like a ton of them when I was going to YC startup school. Well, I'll just have a Zoom meeting like this. And I'm like, walk me through your process when you're about to move. What happens? And I just keep quiet. I just listen. And they tell me stuff that I'm like, this goes into the copy. That goes into the copy. This goes, they're telling me in their own words, how I'm going to build out my script. Or what do I put on the website? Or how do I explain Rumi? They're telling me in their own words, and I just take it word for word, and I just drop it in there. So, I, like you said, I've never with Rumi, and even with City Spoon, Iowa, Iowa was the last time that somebody ever told me that they do not understand what my pitch was all about. In fact, I get concerned. The last and that you're talking about, you're about years ago. Years ago, Iowa. yeah. 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 But I get concerned now because the last pitch I did when I was done pitching and the judges didn't have questions, I was getting concerned. I was like, they have to have questions. And the very first judge said, you're going places. That's what he said. You're going places. 
with what you're building here. Then the next judge asked me something about revenue, which I explained a bit. I, I dove into that. So they, they were more focused on the business side of things. They understood the problem, you know? So being able to clearly articulate the problem, sure. I think I've figured that out. And my wife, she has own ideas and startups she's working on. And every time I, now and then when I sit down with her and she wants to write down a script, I'm like, this is how we have to do, we have to follow these steps in terms of describing the problem in such a way that it connects with the person that's on the other side. Make sure that you're burning the house down. It's not like it's a nice to have problem. No, this is a nuisance. So usually when I sit down with, um, for example, my wife, she has her own um, business ideas and stuff like that. And I sit down with her to say, okay, let's talk about what the problem is. And we have to, she would just do a breakdown and then we're like, okay, let's clearly articulate the very first problem in such a way that it's not a, a problem you want to live with. It's a problem you need solved now. You know, and that's why in, in, in the openings of both my City Spoon and my Rumi pitch, there's a time bound that I usually have in there. You know, so with City Spoon, it's, it's Friday night. Mm-hmm. That's the time bound. You need to solve it Friday night. With Rumi, it's, it's the 15th of the month. You think you got time. Two weeks later, you're still solving, trying to figure this out. So there's always this time bound thing that I always put everything in there. It's like you have to not just describe the problem, but time bound the problem as well. So it's like something you need to get solved right away. Cause if it's the 15th of the month and now two weeks later, it's the end of the month. Now you're super desperate because, you know, people are lowballing you on Facebook marketplace for your furniture. You know, you're looking to put it up in storage and it's going to cost you a hundred dollars a month for a couple of pieces of furniture. You know, it's costing you money either way, you know? So those are my approach when I'm talking to people, I'm like, we got to time bound this, you know, what, what's that, what's that critical, um, period of time that this has to happen and then build build around that, you know? And do you feel this, um, this buildup of the problem is what can get judges to look, to look past, you know, perhaps minimal traction, depending on what stage a company is at? Um, I would say... Uh, and the reason I say that is because a lot of the pitch competitions that I apply to are for early stage companies. So I'm, I'm supposed to be in that stage. Sure. If I now, so when I look at the pitch competitions, I'm, I'm making sure I'm not applying for something that is um, pitch competitions for people that have traction. Because first of all, if I apply, most likely I won't get in because they'll say you don't have traction. But if you do get in, know that you're going to be fighting against other people that have revenue and traction and stuff like that. So your chances of winning are, you kind of reduce your chances of winning, you know? So I look for those pitch competitions for where I'm at in my business, you know, and that determines what pitches I apply to. And as I move my business to the next level, like Rumi starts, if Rumi, when Rumi starts having revenue and stuff like that, my pitch competitions are going to be those ones that are like a hundred thousand K a hundred thousand dollars, not the 20 and low, you know, right now I'm doing those 20 and, 20, 20k and low right now, which is puts me in that in that range, you know. So, because I've seen other, I watch a lot of pitch competitions. Um, uh, you know, TechRise is a great opportunity for you to just sit down and watch what's going on out there. But sometimes me just being in my own pitch competition with other folks, 
you know, I could see how they structure their pitch. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't like saying that because I was, I was in Canada two weeks ago and, and the Canadian election just concluded yeah. last week, Monday. And Justin Trudeau was being in, been interviewed on, on Saturday. And he told the, the reporter, goes, well, let me be honest with you. Just all the reporters were like, so you've been lying to us this whole time? But like, <laughs> so, so, but when I, when I say, when I say, yeah, when he said that, they were kind of like, what? He's like, no, no, no. What I'm trying to say is this, you know, but um, from year, from experience doing all those pitches, sometimes I could kind of tell which ones are going to make the cut and which ones are not going to make the cut. Like the pitch, the, the presenter who started off with his team, I spend the first four minutes of a five minute pitch talking about team. I'm like, oh, that person's out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay, so my odds have just got better. Or the person that, you know, the, the slide deck is where all the communication is happening. They actually read it and everything off the deck. You know, my approach as a minimalist is to have as little as possible on the deck, on the slide, and do a lot of talking. So they're listening to me. You know, and they're just seeing some visual cues just to reinforce what I'm saying. So that also helps me eliminate the people I'm competing against because I'm like, okay, this person's deck is too wordy. You know, they need to cut this down. You know, so I have things that I look at within my own when I'm in a pitch competition. And I, you know, and everything else also depends on the judges. You know, I've been in pitch competitions where I have no idea who's going to win. In fact, when I'm done pitching, my, I'm sitting on my chair, my head's down, and they say the winner is City Spoon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you, know, you know, because, you know, my slide deck was all jacked up because of technology or whatever the case may be. But I was able to communicate without the deck. I've, yeah. I'm at a point where if something happens to the deck, I can continue talking without the deck. So that, that brings me to my next question. I just want to ask two quick questions here before we begin our wrap up because we're running out of time. Um, you know, we talk about the pitch itself. What advice do you have regarding stage presence? Stage presence. Um, first, be super confident on stage. In fact, before you get on stage, um, I try to do something that gets me ready to go on stage. So I remember Latinx pitch um, demo day when they said next, present, next presenter is Dapo Kalawale. I literally, when I got up from my seat, I didn't get up gently. I jumped up and came back down. Like literally just jumped up and came back down. That kind of shook off whatever was maybe there. It kind of shook it off. And then I went on stage. And then when you get on stage, I always tell myself, these people have no choice but to listen to me for the next five minutes. <laughs> you know, so I just take my time and I, I make sure I make, I, I look at people, I turn left to right, I'm making sure I'm not in one space. And sometimes I'm intentionally in one space to start with the problem. So usually when I start with talking about the problem, I stay in one place. In one place. But when I now switch to the solution and I move, because I've just left that part of that pitch. I'm in a different side of the pitch right now. And then I move around and stuff like that. Sometimes I, I just intentionally just stop there and I just say, hi, my name is Dapo. And I tell him this and then I move. So if there's, a, if there's an inflection point in my pitch, I actually move 
to identify that I'm actually moving away from that last point. This is a new point I'm on right now. Catch up with what I'm trying to do here. You know, so that stage presence, confidence, um, having um, there are some things I do. Um, some um, um, I'm a man of faith, so there's some faith words that I I I, I um, what's the word I um, recite recite to myself before for going on stage. You know, and I, I I stand on those things all the time because it's just not you never know what's going to happen. But I recite these things to myself and then go on stage. And before you know it, the four or five minutes is over. And you're like, I feel, I feel, you know, whoever's next, to, that's their problem. They have to figure out what they're going to see on stage because I already did. <laughs> I'm going to sit down and relax. Yeah. So I would say stage presence, um, um, be very timely, be very, if they say it's a five-minute pitch, one of the things that they taught us at Latinx is something called noise versus signal, you know, when I put my deck together for a five minute pitch, if I'm done at four minutes and 30 seconds, that's it. That's all I'm giving because I make sure that I push out all the noise and it's just signals that I'm sending out on a slide deck, you know? So I won't fill it. I won't fill it with another 30 seconds worth of nothing. I'll just stop. And I'll say, I'm, you know, I'm ready for questions. So, yeah. What have some of your, you know, my, and this is my last question before we get to our final wrap up. Um, you know, and I've known you for several years now. We've worked together for um, on several different pitches. You've got an impressive track record to the point that, like, I've kind of lost count. Um, what are some of the different, uh, you know, do you know at this point, like, how much you've won through different events uh, over the years? I would say total of cash, probably close to 60, 70K. In kind, probably close to 100 you know, so services from Google or AWS and stuff like that, because- Which are expensive services if you got to pay for them on your own. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I always tell myself, if I don't, I've been to pitch competitions. I've applied to pitch competitions this year where they send me that email saying, oh, you didn't make it this year. And I'm like, that's fine. And some others I get into, but the ones I get into and I do not win, I always tell myself, you're not a loser. You're just going to, you're going to learn something about improving how you say what you're going to say, you know? So the questions they're asking, you know, tells me that I haven't obviously spent time clarifying those points on my deck or in my presentation. That's why they're drilling down on those specific questions. And then I lost my train of thought. I think that's, that's pretty much it. Just being able to have between all the pitch competitions, even the last one, which was 5k, I came in second place. And the guy who came in first place did a fantastic job. And he told me later on, because we came in at noon to do a dry run, and then we came in at five to do the real thing. He goes, I just mimic what you did at 12 o'clock. That's why I, <laughs> I saw what you did at 12 o'clock, and I came back and I mimicked that. And I was like, hey, whatever works for you. Um, <laughs> but just being able to, yeah, he just mimicked that. I'm like, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy for you that you won. But I made sure he paid for drinks all that weekend in Denver. Since <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so yeah nice. it's, been, it's been great it's been great. okay good good let's begin our wrap up now where can our listeners find you and learn more about Rumi? absolutely if you go to roomie.co that is r-o-o-m-i-i.co we are currently onboarding beta testers we would love to have you on board if you find yourself to be a furniture fanatic 
or an urban dweller who we call hype, who is hypermobile and jumps from apartment to apartment and city to city, we want you on our platform because you are our customer. We want to make sure you make your space aspirational as possible. So when your friends come in, they can see that you're living like a baller and not spending like one. <laughs> you've got you've got this stuff. <laughs> you've got your messages down for every every point of the journey. Uh, Dapo, who is one person that you want to shout out? Could be a mentor, or a colleague, an advisor, or a coworker. My shout out wants to go out to my son Toby. He is seven years old and. Every time I go out on the road to go do a pitch, he is calling me. He goes, you better come home with a check. Uh-huh. I'm like, I have to come home with a check, <laughs> you know? So he is my, um, he's my inspiration. Um, he's learning a lot from me. In fact, he's given presentations at school at second grade. And I tell him, you know, make sure you, you know, burn the house down, describe the problem correctly, talk about the solution, you know, and he's asking for a YouTube page right now. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, I, you know, he, I, I say the world to watch out on this, on this boy. So he's the one that I want to give a shout out to. Um, he's close to my heart and my wife's heart. And um, yeah. he is, um, he's an amazing child. That's a hell of a motivation. <laughs> Let's now talk through our final um, lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Our topic today was how to win pitch competitions. This is something that you know we've worked together on uh, and at Startup Hype Man, uh, I've worked with you know many, many, many companies uh, on their pitches, a lot of times for the case of pitch competitions. And I think at this point, we've produced probably two dozen or close to 30 winners or top three where there's a uh, prize involved. And a lot of the stuff that you said is, is of course, great stuff. I think what I want to highlight specifically is the notion of branding your inputs. So like you said, they're not users. You didn't talk, you don't talk about them in your pitch as we have X number of users on our wait list. It was, we have furniture fanatics on our wait list. And just those little tweaks where you can brand your inputs help get across the point that you know what you're doing. And you have people who really like your stuff. And it's not just, you know, users is one example, but I think overall there are ways to, to brand your inputs so that the, the story fully gets across uh-huh. and you're covering, you know, your, any holes in the story are covered by the fact that you're making it a story from start to finish, not just a story in the first 20 seconds. Dapa, what are your top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners on how to win pitch competitions? Um, first, you hit it. Branding is very important. Your slide deck is an opportunity for you to communicate with your listeners at a pitch competition. For example, the headers of your slides don't have to be your boring, you know, um, competitors. And for example, Rumi, I say, who are these carpenters? We're talking furniture. I don't call them competitors. I say, who are these carpenters? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's from my uh, slide deck. For City Spoon, when I talk about, um, how we make money, I say, this is how we make bacon. Or like I say, if you're vegan, this is how we make lettuce. I say stuff like that, you know, because it connects with them at that level. So you as a person are a brand. What you're saying and how you're delivering that is a brand. Your slide deck is a brand. Even in fact, how you dress that day is a brand. You know, you have to put all those things together. Um, The only problem with dressing was that Due to COVID, I struggled 
with the last pitch competition of figuring out what to wear since for like almost 12, 12, 13 months, I was been, I was just wearing t-shirts and shorts at home all day. So I was like, okay, what do you wear to a live pitch competition? I used to do this before, but I cannot remember what that is anymore. So all I want to say to you is that takeaway is your script, your uh, slide deck, your presentation, how you deliver it, everything is a package. And you have that five minutes to, to just blow their minds and connect with them at a, at a high level and deliver a winning pitch. Um, I'll say deliver an excellent pitch that gives you a winning result because they still have to go deliberate, but make sure you answer all the questions in their minds when, you, when they give you that five or 10 minutes. My final question, which is how we end every episode on the show, fill in the blank, Dapo. Entrepreneurship is blank. So... It's a highway. There's a major song. I forget the Canadian guy's name. It's called Life is a Highway. Yeah. I, that's how I see it. I want to write it all night long. That's, <laughs> that's, that entrepreneurship is a highway that I want to ride all night long because it's going to take you to destinations that you're not, you never thought of. It's going to open doors that you never expected. There's always an unexpected on the next step, but you have to take that first step. You open, take that first step. The unexpected opens, then you take the next step. Just like I met you, we ran into each other. But if I not, if I hadn't taken that step to sit down with you, I don't know what conversations we'll be having today in terms of pitches. So that's you got to take that step. It's a highway. It's a journey. Just if you if you have that feeling about entrepreneurship, you feel very strongly about it. Move in that direction. Start something. Work on it. You just never know. And make sure you make yourself available to to. All, all the opportunities I show, show up. So someone reached out to me and said, hey, we're putting together this thing called TechRise. Would you be interested in joining our Slack channel? That was before TechRise became what it is. And I joined the Slack channel. Next day I know I applied, I got in, then I won, then a whole bunch of other doors are opening us because I made myself present for that opportunity. So make yourself present for that opportunity. Uh, this is usually the part where I would say thank you for being a guest on the show today. So long, everybody. We'll see you next time. But today, I want to actually make a special announcement for all the listeners. Um, so Dapo is still running Rumi, but we are also, in addition to running Rumi, we are bringing Dapo because of all of his success that he's been able to have, uh, especially uh, in being able to take a lot of the startup hype man system and then have success with it on his own. Um, so Dapo, I'm super excited to officially announce and welcome you onto the Startup Hype Man team as our first ever, aside from me, our first ever pitch artist. I am so excited. Thanks, Raj, for making this announcement. Um, it's been it's been great. I know we've done a couple of sessions already, but this is this is me getting to work with you and to work with other entrepreneurs across the country just to get them to the next level of funding or getting their, 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 their story, you know, in such a way that it will motivate other people to act upon what they're asking for. So, so thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Truly appreciate it. Truly appreciate it. I'm super pumped to have you on board. He is Dapo Kolawale, the founder of Rumi, and now additionally pitch artist at Startup Hype Man. Dapo, thank you so much for being a guest today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Raj. Look forward to seeing you in person soon. <laughs>
That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button. Send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it. While you're on your way out, don't forget to follow Startup Hype Man on Instagram and LinkedIn at Startup Hype Man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way. StartupHypeMan.com is the place to catch the full 17-season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week, but until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.